Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee. I'm Maz Mary. And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Daily Dose. Um, We are waiting on our guest. So we're going to get started and hope that Senator Tim Mathern can join us. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but you know, sometimes technology trips you up. So if I look cagey, if I keep doing this, it's because I'm checking to see if he has um, checked in with us. And if I do that, it's because I forgot the camera's up there now and not down here. Yes. So um, while we're waiting for Senator Mathern to join us, I wanted to uh, talk about the fact that this morning, uh, well, all month long, I have been doing daily gratitude posts, which I do almost every November. I've been doing them on my um, professional Dana DelVal page. And today's post was about um, all the guests who've shown up, showed up. Oh, there he is. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I'm going to let Senator Mathern <laughs> in because it's uh, I'm thrilled he's here. Me too. Senator Mathern. Hey, good to see Hello, you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for uh, figuring that out. I'm sorry. It was a little bit of a uh, trip. Sorry about that. How are Again, you? I'm doing well. I had some technical difficulty with the um, computers at work and uh, all kinds of things about confidentiality. So oh, I'm on my phone with you. Yes. Of course you did. Well, thank you for thank figuring you for it out. We appreciate out. that. <laughs> so, Senator Mathern, will you please just give us quickly your background? Because you have an impressive set of, you have an impressive resume for why you're on today talking about policymaking around um, addiction and treatment of addiction. Well, I uh, began my career as a social worker some uh, almost 50 years ago. And uh, my work was helping individuals uh, solve their personal problems. And uh, it wasn't too many years into the process where I thought, well, I need to get better at this. So I got a master's degree after the bachelor's degree. And then after I had the master's degree, still work with people. And I finally came to the conclusion, most people... um, if they have problems, it's not a matter of individual um, failings. It's a matter of how we organize society and oftentimes create a situation where people have personal and social problems. Mm. And so I got involved in politics. Uh, it is in politics, in public policy, that we figure out how the world should be ordered mm. and how it should be. Um, uh, set up to support individuals and families. And uh, I've been doing that for 35 years and just came back from the North Dakota legislature um, where we apportioned uh, $1 billion um, to to address the economy in our state. So that's my background. I presently work also at Prairie St. John's Hospital 
in addition to being a state senator. And um, I've worked in the past as an administrator at a uh, social service agency, uh, Catholic Charities, and I've been an administrator of, of a church. And um, right now am very involved in the exciting process of uh, building a new hospital at Fargo. It's incredible yeah, it what that facility is starting to look like look here. like compared to where you have been working. You're in a very old building, one of the original hospitals in the region, right? Yes, and in fact, it's uh, it's a good example of discrimination uh, against a certain illness and behavioral health. Almost all behavioral health facilities are in older buildings or buildings that medical care institutions have um, abandoned. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to me, it's an expression of what's going on in society wherein we don't accept behavioral health issues as health issues. It's one of the last places of discrimination in mm -hmm. terms of healthcare. Um, you know, we, we used to put people away at different colonies and different um, buildings who had healthcare problems. And um, you can start way back from biblical times to now. Um, and this is just another example of this discrimination in our society when old buildings and and sort of um, secondary care is provided to people who have behavioral health um, issues. Boy, I had never thought of that. And you lived there for four I, and a half weeks. Did you think of that? I, I did. I did think of that. And I, I, they, it was addressed um, by a couple of my counselors too. What did they say about it? Um, you know, they just said that the, they were talking about a potential building. They said this place was kind of, I think the phrase one of them used was um, where it's all been held together by duct tape and glue. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. But it didn't stop them doing a fantastic job, you know. Well, that is true. I mean, I there is there is value, obviously, in new and updated and in um, places that say to someone, you have value, you belong here. I mean, I you know, if you think about birth centers, for example, birth centers today are like five-star hotels. <laughs> Holy buckets. Um, Dr. Senator Mathern, I think I've told you this, but my son was one of the last babies born at Prairie St. John's before that transitioned away from being sort of a regular hospital and became the mental health facility. So I remember having him there and knowing that not too far down the street were 26 years ago almost, at the time, very, very high-end. Now those look kind of like super eights compared to Ritz's. I, it's incredible what birthing centers have, have become. So your point about how we value some kinds of healthcare and don't value other types and people who use those services is, is something I've just never, ever thought about, but really, really important. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, I, um, I would add right now we have a public policy issued before us, and that's whether or not we build a new state hospital. Okay. Uh, the state hospital is in Jamestown, 
And I believe it would be a mistake to build a new state hospital because it takes this concept of, of discrimination about one illness mm-hmm. into the future, another hundred years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the state hospital was a central institution where you could sort of send all of these people that communities didn't want or communities didn't want to take care of or communities didn't know how to take care of. And the new model of care is really that people need care in their own community. Mm. And um, staying well, staying free from substance use or um, being able to manage a mental illness really depends on the community. It depends on the supports that people have. Um, And if you take people away from their community and you put them in a, a central institution away from those connections, their employer, their family, their church, their their uh, community, it's hard to stay well. And because you, the person grows at a different rate than the other people do. Yeah. And um, it's hard to keep that together. So I believe we need treatment facilities in many places around the state. And um, so right now, I would just encourage you and the citizens to Think about this and contact your legislators. Do you want a new, brand new state hospital or do you want treatment facilities all over the state? So, um, yeah, you are my senator. You are our senator. So I guess we don't have to contact you. Um, You may sway us a little bit. But... Let's talk a little bit about that point. And uh, we'll just remind the audience that we can see questions coming in from YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, however you're watching this. So if you have questions for Senator Mathern, either that are specific to North Dakota policy around this, or maybe just policy in general, since I think it's fair to call you a policy wonk, isn't it, sir? Sure. Sure. So so I think you can uh, send in questions if you have them and we'll see what the Senator can answer. But but let's talk about this idea of being a citizen reaching out to your legislature, um, your legislators in terms of these issues and really anything else. Because I think when you ran for governor, I, I helped with that campaign just a little bit. And I remember feeling like, um, so often people don't reach out to the people who are making their political choices for them for a lot of reasons, some of which are fair and some of which are assumptions. But what is that relationship that you would like to have with your constituents and how might people get over the sort of fear and anxiety of talking to elected people? That's kind of off topic, but I think it's important as we talk about how someone might become an advocate for mental health or addiction treatment or all those kinds of things. Well, thanks for the question. I, I believe that there's been a mega change over the last 50 years, which has not been helpful for that concept. I think there was a time when politics was quite local mm-hmm. and people voted based on kind of their relationships with their local legislator. Um, but it's changed considerably to politics being national 
where, you know, like in the last presidential election, you were either for Trump or for Biden. And so you were an R or a D. And that then influenced people down the ballot. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think what's important if we try to reconstruct that to there is this national thing going on. It's important to take part, but it really is different than local politics. Mm -hmm. And we need to connect with that. And, and I think social media and the news is so wrapped up in the national part, it's hard for citizens to separate. So in North Dakota, we have 47 legislative districts. And that means, in, like in Cass County, we have 10 districts. So each citizen has three legislators, a senator and two house people in their district. And it's really not impossible to literally call them. Right. Like on the telephone yeah. <laughs> or email them to yep. express a concern. And um, to be able to text them. Yes. Well, I just texted go. you this morning, I think. So, yes. <laughs> I'm talking about the younger ones who don't know how to use a phone. They use it to text people. <laughs> and, and everybody's contact information is available at legis.nd.gov. That's L-E-G-I-S dot nd.gov. And there's a list of all of these senators and representatives, what district they're from, their email, the contact information. Um, so I just think it's important that people know how to do it. But I think you're probably speaking to the motivation. Yeah. And I would just say, um, just like your program, you are you're educating people about this specific area of public policy and you're you're focusing on the uh, on the on the transformation of people and their families to deal with addiction um but it's a matter of just kind of ratcheting that to another level when somebody has addressed the personal issue, how do you ratchet that? Maybe I would say ratchet it up to public policy level. It's still the same thing, yeah. Um, but it's just a little different level, a different layer of the onion. And without that, without that public policy involvement, we don't create a world wherein we have uh, ways to treat these issues and ways to actually prevent them. Sure. And I'm a little bit afraid um, that we're going backwards. We just just announced uh, our country has had 100,000 um, deaths in overdoses. I saw that yesterday. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. And, and so there, there are underlying conditions that that get us to that number. Yeah. And those conditions must be addressed by public policy. Yeah. yeah. Senator, we have a couple of questions. I want to be sure and get to them. I'm going to put them on the screen. So Bonnie's wondering, what is the take of maybe your constituents regarding rebuilding the state hospital? What are you hearing across the state as you are meeting with your colleagues and with your voters? Uh, I think most people want to build a new state hospital. 
Um, many legislators do. The governor does. Oh. Um, it's a simplistic solution to a complicated problem. Right. Yeah. And I'm afraid that's where many t- people gravitate. Yeah. And, well, it's, yeah. Um, and it's a, um, it's, so it's an uphill battle to go to this new frontier of saying, you know, we don't have a state hospital for prostate cancer. We don't have a state hospital for breast cancer. No. Why do we do this for this illness? Uh, but it takes um, a change of mind and it's difficult. And um, I would say right now, if this was voted on right now in the legislature today, we probably build a new state hospital. Sure. That's a shame. However, we do have a committee, um, acute care committee of eight legislators studying this in detail. Okay. And um, hopefully, if enough people express their concern about local treatment, that committee could come out with a different recommendation. But right now, bottom line is that what was there, it would be built. Sure. What's the timeline on this? Is there one? Well, we um, we are working on this in an interim committee fashion right now. And we hope to conclude our recommendations by um, August of 2022. And okay. then the legislature in 2023 starting January would make that final decision and would um, appropriate dollars accordingly. Interesting. So you have a question. I, I do. Well, I can I can see both sides of this this whole thing. I can see that maybe a localized um, hospital for the state would make some sense. But I also completely see the need for um, local care. And one of the things I was just thinking about is when I was at Prairie St. John's, all right, I was 47, but I wasn't the youngest. I wasn't the oldest person there by any means. I wasn't. And there were children there, basically. Yeah. And a lot of the a lot of the, the younger people and one, at least one of the older persons was, was saying in all of our meetings that they felt alienated because they were so far from home. And I thought about it and I thought, yeah, I live in this town. I know if I walked out of this, I know exactly where to go to. It's a 15 minute walk to my home. And that, now that I think about it, made me feel slightly better Hmm. because I was on familiar ground. And I think that is important to treat any illness. It is so right on. You know, we have people from hundreds of miles away come for treatment. And the state hospital does. Yeah. And they might come to the state hospital in almost a catatomic state or maybe a very violent state or a very um, a state in the middle there. And within seven, 10 days with really clear medication and a clear structure and a clear um, method of communicating with a treatment professional, people stabilize and get well and can leave however to stay well yeah <laughs> yeah to be connected with the supports is the challenge yeah and if you step off 
out of the hospital and you get into a car that takes you 150 miles away and all of the people at that 150 mile away destination have not taken part. Mm -hmm. I think people are just um, feeling they're in a twilight zone. Yeah. Yeah. I can see Boy, that. And like you, Dr. Marin, I mean, you could literally walk out the door, walk to your house. Yeah. And that made and me there were people there. And uh, yeah. I suspect there were people at your job that knew what was yeah. going on and they could welcome you back. And um, so that's that helps us keep well when we have supports. Well, because yeah. Yeah, if you go to a place and then you go home, you're isolated when you get home then. And that, that, yeah. then you've got very little chance of being able to successfully deal with your 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 underlying problems there. Boy, that is a really illuminating point that I had not thought of. Wow. Okay, we're going to move on to the next question, which uh, is long. So I'm going to post <laughs> it and then we'll look at it and we'll see what you can do with it. This is from a former guest named David Whitesock, who's a North Dakota, South Dakota, longtime resident native and now living in upstate New York, working in um, alternative rehab ways and treatment ways in his own journey, which is really incredible. So I'll read it out in case anyone can't see it. Question for Senator Matherin. Hello, sir. Commercial payers are having a difficult time implementing value-based or outcomes-based care and contracts. Incentives don't seem to be aligned yet. North Dakota has done some outcomes-based contracting for SUD and peer support. How can the state take this to another level so that the commercial payers will almost be compelled by the market forces to shift from fee for service? I hope that question makes sense to you. Yeah, I would not be um, able to answer it. <laughs> SUD providers, he's talking about substance use disorder. Oh, great. And um, we have many of those providers in our state, but the funding for those has really only started in the last few years. We have what's called an SUD voucher, which means a person who needs that care can go to any provider to have that care provided. Um, but the measurement of outcome is still early in its development. Um, and I think one of the base problems is a discrimination again that happened yeah. when when um, Obamacare started, the Affordable Care Act in in 2010. I don't know if most citizens are aware of this, but huge amounts of money during that bill and following that were provided to healthcare providers to develop electronic healthcare records hmm. to track what's going on. Well, the behavioral health facilities got zero dollars out of that. So behavioral health care facilities, including substance use disorder facilities, never upgraded, never had the money to upgrade the data um, keeping uh, and comparison um, services that are needed for what David is talking about. To, to really do outcome-based, you need to really track yeah. when someone got into care, what was provided, how did that relate to other providers, what was the outcome, 
because a lot of times a treatment for an individual, it might start at acute, that, that acute care in a hospital, it might go to a residential treatment, it might go to outpatient, might go to some sort of um, uh, medical intervention for uh, medication. Well, that needs to be tracked properly. Yeah. And so that is not properly in place yet. However, there is some tracking being done. Um, we now have incented some substance use providers to, um, to, to have better systems. And, but we are a ways off and we need um, the support of government policy, of insurance regulation to actually make that change. And we are only in process. So, <clears throat> Senator, you and I are in agreement on most, most political pieces, not all of them, but many of them. But we are in the vast, vast, vast minority. Well, I guess I can say you now, too, because you can vote. Yes. We are in the vast <laughs> minority now of our state and in some cases, much of the country. So how do you, as I'm listening to you talk about, um, we, need, we need federal resources, we need investment from the government, those kinds of things. I, of course, I think we agree with that, but how do you have this conversation with the people who say, uh, that's just more of a handout, that's just more big government stepping in and taking care of things. These people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and figure it out. How, how do you talk to those people? Because you don't need to convince us. We're on the same side. How do you convince these other, other ways of thinking? Well, um, there's a few ways. One is you try to personalize the situation and try to find out who else in their family might be dealing with this. I, I know many times People don't come to this awareness of need and response until they personally or somebody in their family has dealt with the situation. Yes. So that's that's one way. Another way is just to look at, there's other data forms. For example, what's happening in business, what's ha happening with my employees, if there is substance use disorder or mental illness, and the, the negative consequence of that. I, I talked, a related topic, I talked with a businessman the other day about COVID um, vaccinations. And he said on one project, this is in Fargo, over the past few months or the past few weeks, he has lost $300,000 because of employees being gone with COVID and then not meeting this guideline or that deadline or that deadline. And so he's come to the conclusion he's gonna require vaccinations from his employees so that he can keep his business going. Well, anyway, so he's expressing, and, and he would be somebody in the Republican column, somebody in the column of noting, um, less government regulations, he's noting in his own business that he has to have some sort of regulation to 
um, make it possible to continue. So that that's another way, you know, looking at our industries, looking at our businesses and finding out that there's a number of people who understand from the business point of view that if their employees are not well, they will not succeed. So that's another approach. You know, I, I think another approach is trying to spread the message of, of, of this being um, an illness, a healthcare issue, um, it's a situation where there are some social determinants. So we take it out of the realm of 19, 1965 when Medicaid was passed, um, treatment of mental illness for a person between 21 and 64 is still not a covered service. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Well, some people thought, well, these people are just lazy or these people are possessed by the devil or these people are immoral or these people make improper judgments. And um, we are finding out that there are hereditary factors there are chemical factors in the brain, there are social factors, there are environmental factors. I mean, downtown Fargo, we got a bar on every corner almost now. Yep. And it's it sort of hit to be start a brewery and a winery and a, and a whiskery or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's a variable. Yeah. But anyway, so trying to help people understand that those individuals that deal with these issues personally are in a context mm. and that context um, probably contributes maybe more than some individual's decision to drink or not to drink to have depression or not have depression mm. so i think explaining it as being within a broader context we don't tell people who have diabetes, get over it. We don't just bring them in the hospital one day and say, we fixed you. Yeah. yeah. You know, people with diabetes for their whole life have to do certain things. And we accept that as, as it's the same way with mental illness or, or substance use disorder. It's a lifetime um, addressing um, the issues. And so I think explaining that to people is important and explaining that to families. Um, I think of it often too when when you see or somebody says so-and-so committed suicide. Well, um, we don't say that when somebody died of cancer. Yeah. yeah. They committed cancer, committed suicide. It, 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 you know, there's so many factors. Yeah. And it's not really a decision on one person's part to do this one thing. It's a combination of issues. Issues we are all responsible for. It's really not just that individual. So that would be the final point I would add is just kind of educating our friends and neighbors and family members um, about the broader range of responsibility and response to this um, situation. 
Well, that's really lovely. And clearly the reason that you are in an elected position and someone like, say, me is not because your uh, your compassion for those who do not think the way that you do is admirable. I want to put this up uh, just in the interest of uh disclosure in case anyone doesn't know this, this is my mother, but she doesn't vote for you because she lives in Minnesota. So so it's an outside perspective, but we are lucky to have yes. you. The state is lucky to have you. You have done this work for a very, very long time. And boy, you want to talk about an uphill climb. I have sat with you in Bismarck and seen what it's like to be um, on this side of the political aisle, and it is no easy thing. So thank you for your service. Thank yes, you for thank your you. thoughtful you, response. And thank you for the work that you um, have done, I think, just to to spread compassion. You, you are a practicing, active Catholic, and I feel like you bring that, that core belief to this work in the finest of ways. So thank you for that. Well, I thank you for the comment, and I thank you, both of you, for your work in um, in part of this. I mean, it's it's another layer of the onion. It's it's um, making sure that um, the wider society takes part, and uh, that's how we make good decisions. And we need to keep working on it. Probably will forever. Yeah. Yep. That's probably true. Senator Tim Mathern, thank you, very much. Thank you thank for you. joining us. Thanks for sharing your personal and policy making thoughts on this. It's really been an incredible half hour and we appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Thank you. Bye. Everybody else, we will see you next Tuesday. Have a great weekend and thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon. I like that dude. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> He's a real deal. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L dot com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.